Hey, it's Casey Cheshire from EO Boston. It's an honor for my team at Ringmaster to partner with EO Atlanta to produce this great podcast. If you're interested in an experience share around what it takes to launch a podcast, how to be a better host, or a great guest, shoot me an email at casey at ringmaster.com. And now back to the show. Entrepreneurship is hard. So let's fix that and dive into our hero's journeys. This is Taking Flight, an entrepreneur's journey, and I'm Sarah Torville. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of those already in flight. This show is sponsored by EO Atlanta. Hi, it is great to be back for another, um, what is gonna be a very exciting, I know, and very engaging podcast. Um, our guest this morning is going to definitely enlighten us and share some, I'm sure, some amazing um, advice for us all. So uh, I'm really, really delighted to, you know, kickstart this podcast today. So our guest is a captivating motivational speaker, a leader, a mentor, a prison success story, and an entrepreneur, founder of the Academy of Hope community development workshop leader at Genius Network. Welcome to Andre Norman. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Fabulous. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to get started. We've been wanting to do this for a while. I'm so glad that this is taking place today. So, um, alrighty, Andre, I'm going to go straight forward. I really would love to understand, um, you know, in your journey of being an entrepreneur, what did you get right? So when you took your first flight, what worked well for you? Well, my first flight in entrepreneurship, it went well until it didn't, until the police showed up. <laughs> when the police showed up, they said, we appreciate your in endeavors and your attitude, but it's called a crime what you're doing. So my first flight into entrepreneurship went well for a little while. I had a run, as we call it, and the police showed up and they told me that what I was doing didn't like really jive with the laws of the country. And they sent me to prison. So when I got to prison, I was like, okay, that, that first thing didn't work. But as a true entrepreneur, I didn't quit. <laughs> so I tried it again in prison. And I was doing really good in prison until they came and got me. And they put me in solitary confinement, a hole in the basement for two and a half years. to say, hey, Dre, we appreciate your spirit and your energy, but you can't do that here. So I sat in a basement in a hole, a cell for two and a half years. And I was planning my next endeavor, which is going to be kind of like a remake of the first two. Um, but then I realized that this wasn't working out for me and I didn't want to be the king of nowhere. Right. So I run a prison, I run contraband, I do a lot of stuff behind the wall. It, but it's like, if I'm doing this here and it's like 10 times harder in prison and doing business in the street, I said, let me go home and do business in the street. So I got a plan together to go home and go to Harvard University. I got my gang together the next day and I told them, man, I'm like, I'm like quitting. I got a new plan. I'm going home. I'm going to go to Harvard. I'm going to be successful in the street. I think I can do this out in the free world. Right. They looked at me like I was crazy. They said, Dre, you can't do this in the free world. This is what you are. This is what you do. And they started telling me about who I was and why I'm good at being a criminal, why I'm good at being a gang member and all the rest of this stuff. I said, no, it's not working, though. Mm -hmm. We're all locked in cages. That's not how this works. Yeah. And everybody thought I was crazy. But I drafted my plan. Um, and I went back to school, got a, got my education. Then I went to the law library. I taught myself the law, became a lawyer. I fought my case on appeal. I went to therapy. I went to counseling. I went to groupings and I got my life together. And it took me another eight years 
a total of 14 before I walked out of prison. And I walked out of prison with a goal to go to Harvard, be successful and like launch myself. Right. And I've been home for 23 years now and I've made it to Harvard and beyond. <laughs> wow. Uh, what a story. Am I allowed to ask, what was the entrepreneurship story you were doing that put you in prison? I went to prison for robbing drug dealers. Okay. My, my, my thought was drug dealers have money, so right. they're the perfect people to rob. In theory, I thought they couldn't call the police, but I was wrong. Right. I'm like, you're a drug dealer. You're a criminal. I'm a criminal. Yeah. You can't call the police. That's wrong. They call the police too. Okay. So how did you, how did you run that in prison? In prison is called extortion. So you find other prisoners who have stuff that you want, but aren't physically able to protect themselves. So okay. I say, Hey, listen, check this out. You come to jail. If you came to jail tomorrow, whatever, God forbid, you got a case and whatever it was, they sent you to prison. Um, rich lady from the suburbs, a rich guy from the suburbs. I would look and say, Oh, he's from this town. This is a home value in that town. Right. This is what he paid his lawyer. And all that's public record is in the news. So when you show up, I'm going to tell you, listen, I understand you got a company worth about $3 million. You probably cash flow anywhere in a couple hundred thousand. This is what you're going to pay me every week to stay alive. Okay. And you're going to, I'm going to tell you your, I'm going to tell you your address, what your home is worth and everything else. And you're going to say, yeah, that's about right. And I'm going to say, this is what I feel is, is reasonable for you to pay me and I'll protect you. Either I protect you or you go by yourself and bad things happen to people in prison who don't know anybody. Yeah. So, and people will pay. Okay. So, so when you were doing that in prison, did they just keep adding more time then to how long you were then in prison? I didn't get time for extortion okay. slash protection ring. I got time for attempted murders. So when I had disagreements with people, right. um, the way you settle disagreements in prison is you stab the person. Right. So I, I had a habit of stabbing people. Right. My friend Joe Pauls would tell you, I'm great at stabbing. I suck at killing. <laughs> I mean, I got charged I'm eight glad, times with attempt. Glad you suck at killing, Andre. I'm horrible at killing people. Yeah. I tried, yeah. but I'm just not good at it. No, I tried. I got eight eight times. I tried, and eight times I they all lived. So I'm God bless them. God bless me. But I'm just not good at killing people. No. So I moved on. That's the strength that you've learned about yourself. Many of us I, don't even know what we're capable of there. So you definitely um. I tried it. Yeah. I tried it. I mean, yeah. that's how. When I got to prison, they said this is how you resolve disputes. Mm -hmm. So I agree. If this is a meaning communication, this I'm going to communicate. Okay. But I just, for some reason, was not good at it. So just like I wasn't good at street crime, I wasn't good at prison crime, wasn't good at prison violence. It wasn't working out for me in the end. So in the end, I was like, let me try something different. So yeah. instead of hurting people, I now I'm great at helping people. If you're depressed, you're suicidal, stressed out, yeah. overload, I'm phenomenal at pulling you off that edge. Right. I just can't push people over the edge. No. <laughs> Yeah, so you, yeah, like I say, you know your strengths. So I'm just thinking, going back to the question, and you gave an amazing, interesting answer. So I'm just thinking, like, so what do you think the lessons are of what you got right? Was it tenacity? Although you then, well, no, you changed things. So I'm the lessons of what I got right yeah. was I was fearless. I didn't care about losing. I wasn't cared about the odds stacked against me. Um, I believe in me, self-confidence. Yeah. And that if you put enough effort into something, you will find out if it works. You proof it out or not. Yeah. So when I was in the streets, it was really, really hard to hustle in the streets and stay alive. Yeah. So when I got to prison, there's 20,000 people in the prison when I get there in the system. I'm number 20,000. It's at the bottom. Right. I fought my way all the way up to number three. Right. 
So that's a lot of fighting. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to number three and I had a chance to be number one. Then I saw it for what it was. This is not what this is fake. This is a mirage. Yeah. And I was able to walk away. So I wasn't so attached to this dream or goal that when I saw that it wasn't going to pan out for me like I yeah. thought it would. Yeah. I, I dropped it and went the other way. Right. Then I said, at the number three, you're the furthest removed from society. I said, from maximum security prison, I said a goal that I'm going to go home and go to Harvard University. And I looked in the mirror. I said, what's inside of me that's stopping this? I'm black. I'm uneducated. I'm a gang member. I'm violent. I don't read well. And I got no family support. I got a gang of 30 people outside this door waiting for me. I got tons of enemies. I'm in the wrong location to be starting this journey. And I just looked at it and I said, okay. And I started working on each one at a time. Right. And I wasn't going to be deterred. I got my education. I got my law degree. And I just kept working down that list until, you know, I was actually sitting at Harvard University with Henry Louis Gates, Charles Ogletree, and Anthony Appia, and Cornell West. And they knew my name and I was an invited guest to be with them. Right. So it was like, you don't give up. No. Entrepreneurs don't give up. We find a way. Yeah, you do. You've definitely proven that. Oh my gosh. Okay, so the next question is going to be, um, you know, it's about um, who are your co-pilots on the way? And I'm just thinking this is going to be an interesting question for you because it sounds like- My co-pilot's going down. There was, I had co-pilots going down. There was a guy named Dominic Williams who grew up in my neighborhood. He was a little bit older than me. We all, I looked up to him. I can say we, yeah. we all did, but I definitely looked up to him. And when I was about 14, Dominic went to prison with a life sentence for murder. Right. So we used to sit around at 14 years old and be like, yeah, I wonder what Dominic's doing. But Dominic's at prison. So we would sit at the mailbox every single day and talk about Dominic, Dominic in prison. So from 14, I'm beating it into my head, yeah. prison, 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 prison. My idol is in prison. My idol's in prison. So guess who I was at 18? In the prison with my idol. saying <laughs> you, I manifested it. And so when I got there, he taught me all the stuff about staying alive and how to fight and knives and all that stuff, put me in the gang. Then when I decided to change my life around and I came home, he was still doing a life sentence. So I appreciated what he did for me, even though it was a negative. Um, but he helped me stay alive. He taught me the tools I needed to do to stay alive. So I went back. I got my money together, raised up enough money. We got a lawyer. We got his life sentence overturned. And he's been home for about 10 years now. So he was my co-pilot going in. And I have like four or five other guys who were inside who were really helpful. Mm -hmm. But um, my big mentors would be, there's a guy named Natan Schaefer. He's an Orthodox Jewish rabbi that I met while I was in prison by chance. I stopped the guy from getting bullied. And I saw the guy later. I wanted to say hi and check on him. And he was sitting with this old white guy. And the guy said, I said, what are you doing? He said, we're studying. Yeah, I said, can I study with you? I didn't know it was Jewish services. There's no Jewish people in my neighborhood growing up. So I started studying with the rabbi and he taught me accountability. He taught me dependability. He taught me responsibility. He taught me ethics. He taught me giving. He taught me caring. He taught me how to be human. Nobody had ever taught me to be human. They taught me to be an exceptional athlete. They taught me to be an exceptional this, exceptional that. Nobody ever said, Dre, these are traits of being human. Right. And that's what Natan did for me. And for 18 months, I studied with Natan. And there's another guy named Gordon Haas. He's a lifer, old white guy. Right before I came home, I've known Gordon for years. He came and said, Dre, you need to do this program. And he gave me a program to do, which changed my whole perspective. Natan had, had me centered from this program he put me in. It was a Catholic program. Gave me direction. And a combination of Natan and Gordon in the program um, set me on a course to where I am now. So yeah. Gordon and, and Natan will be my two inside. I can't forget Dominic because he kept me alive for many years. And uh, since I've been home, you, you really want the list of mentors that I have since I've been home? I'm sure there's a lot. 
We're, we're pushing 100. I just say we got Joe Polish from Genius Network. We have John Rulin from EO. We have Roland Frazier from War Room. I changed the name of the program. We have um, Stedman Graham from Oprah fame. We have um, Simon from YPO Jersey. We have P.O. Soderbergh from YPO Sweden. We have Mike Maddox from YPO Chicago. We have Rusty Keeley, Dan Curran, Dave Spence, um, John O'Leary. I go down. For, I can go for hours. I people, collect mentors. People want you to succeed. I, I've learned this. This is my model. Mentors love good mentees. Yeah. Teachers love great students. Oh, yeah. I'm a great student. I'm going to take whatever you teach me. You're going to see it happen. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. can't forget um, Deacon John McMillan and Father Martin. They were there in the beginning. Right. So I, when I meet somebody, the same way I used to like battle with people in the back in the days and you get people in the gang and you stay loyal, you stay connected. I do the same thing with my mentors. Mm -hmm. If you're somebody that can teach me and show me, I shut up, I humble up and I listen. I get out the yeah. notebook. Yeah. Big Dre goes out the window. I'm student Dre. And then all of my teachers slash mentors, um, they love that I execute. And they can't wait to teach me something else because I'm going to execute on it. So I have mentors for days. Yeah. They're like family members to me. Last one. Susie Spence, St. Okay. Louis, Missouri, Ledoux, okay. is my sister. She, I have to close the woman too. She's yeah. like one of my biggest champions on planet Earth. And um, 100%. Love that. And I love that there's a lot of people around you supporting you. And and I'm sure you I'm sure you pay it back all the time as well. Thousand percent. So, yeah. I mean. Let me, the, let me ask you. What are you doing right now? Like, what is a challenge that you are overcoming. What are you working on right now? What am I working on right now? Literally just got off the phone um, with the deputy mayor of Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, Michigan, like many, many, all cities in America right now is having a gun violence problem. Yeah. And there's this gun violence out of control in this country right now. People are just being shot daily. Mass shootings are a regular occurrence now. Mm -hmm. And in 2000, when I first came home, I put the group, I put a group together called Violence Interrupters. I birthed a group and we went out into the streets as former gang leaders. And we talked to current gang members who carried guns and convinced them to put them down. Right. And they had a huge decrease in violent occurrences in the city of Boston. And what, and then when the crime came down, then the rebuild could happen. They could rebuild right. the city and all the rest of the wonderful stuff. So Detroit is in a situation where they need to rebuild their city. They're in the first phase of rebuilding the city, but this crime thing is real. Crime and relative to shootings. Um, so I specialize in talking to violent felon, felons and offenders and gang members. They, I speak the same language. I used to be them. Yeah. So I go and I talk to them about how do you get to be part of the system, not part of the prison system. Yeah. yeah. So that's one thing I'm working on, fixing gun violence in Detroit, which will be hopefully national. And then I'm working on, again, just... There's a company out of New York called CECP, stands for Chief Executive for Corporate Purpose. They All the major companies that you can think of, BlackRock, AIG, Walmart, um, all of them. You know, they're all members, Apple, and I. they give away $23 billion a year. And it's my job as a fellow there to help them, the companies, think through the best way to impact on the ground and in communities. So if you want to do engagement in Black communities, brown communities, or incarcerated communities, I help them think those through. So their money actually makes a bigger impact, not just in the parents. So what would you, what would you label yourself as? I, I manage crisis. So okay. if your company is struggling, 
if your sales team is struggling, if your city is struggling, if your child is struggling, it doesn't matter. If there's a crisis, whether it's a business crisis, a family crisis, a community crisis, I create solutions for those. Yeah, I love that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So what excites you about the future? Like, where are you heading? I'm finally sitting still because I've been on go, go, go status in a lot of instances. I'm the guy that jumps out of the helicopter. I'm the guy that flies the helicopter. I'm the guy that does it. Reverse. So I was, do I was doing too much yeah. in a sense of I wasn't getting stuff focused. So I'm actually sitting down. Mm -hmm. And I, if I could show you the boards behind me on the wall, I am writing out the blueprint for not just how to fix Detroit, but how to fix crime, how to do crime in all the major cities. Right. How do you do that? And then how do you diminish gun violence in America is, is, is my, that's how I took the task. And then how do we fix American prison system to make it more productive versus destructive? How do you, how do you help the single mom or the mom? And I went to Helena, Montana one time, mom with the daughter's doing drugs, stressed out, trying to kill herself. How do we help that child as fast as we help all the kids in Detroit? Yeah. So that's, you got a couple with, two kids white in Montana. You got a whole city full of black folks. How do you prioritize? I don't prioritize. I just help people. When my phone rings. I answer it. So it's, I'm sitting home building systems now yeah. that the mom in Montana and the mayor in Detroit. And I just got a call about Chicago. Like Dre, will you come to Chicago? Yeah. I'm like, these places can be fixed. These mechanisms, whether it's school department, prison department, sales team, they can be fixed. When the people in charge actually let somebody fix it. So you, I've had people bring me in and try to micromanage me. I'm like, yeah. if you knew how to do it, you shouldn't have brought me in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. So I, I refuse to be micromanaged though, because it doesn't work and it's a waste yeah. of time. So keep your check. I'm going home. I only have, I'm 55. I figure I got 20 good years of running around. I'll be 75. I look at people around me. I'm like, okay, 75 is about the age where you just chill out. Yeah. You know I'm saying you move a lot slower. Yeah. So I got 20 years. I don't have time to waste three years in a city because somebody's trying to look good in the media. If you're not trying to fix the problem, don't call me. No, no, no. I don't manage problems. And a lot of folks manage problems. So if your company is upside down, there's a good chance it's leadership. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can almost bet it's leadership. So, but when you come in, can we have a private conversation about what you're doing wrong? Mm -hmm. when, there's a, when, there's, when there's a couple married and engaged and there's a problem with the with the with the with the wedding and in the in the relationship and the marriage. It's one of the two of you. Yeah. It's it's not the guy down the street. Yeah. Is is husband or wife? Yeah. One of you two are messing this thing up. If yeah. not both of you. If your kids on drugs, stressed out, depressed, most parents have a problem thing called denial. It's we bought them a nice house. We paid for private school. We don't have no idea why they're doing this thing. And it's like okay, you don't want to. It's your kid. They grew up under you, so they everything they learn, they learn from you. We learn stuff. And so getting people to accept that I'm not blaming, I'm here to yeah. fix it. Yeah. You just have to say, okay, I don't know how I messed it up, but it messed up. And when I tell you, hey, this is the thing. And it's so small. Like my son, I'm, I, people think I'm immune. My son came to visit me one summer and I bought him a little speaker and I gave it to him, 50 bucks. At the end of the summer, he went to this little contest and he won the same speaker. So I took one of the speakers back. He goes home. He stops talking to me. It was like two months later, I finally had to heart to heart with him. What is the problem? He said, yeah. dad, you took my speaker and I was going to give it to my friend and I can't give it to my friend. I couldn't talk to you because you're kind of like a bully and you're a tough guy. And I, I was scared to talk to you about it because you was going to tell me no. 
So I went home and I internalized it and he cut me off over a $50 speaker. I just spent $20,000, Disney cruises, New York trips, LA trips, Universal. We went everywhere on planet Earth for that summer. But for a $50 speaker, he cut me off. Going to end our relationship. Because in his mind, I said to him, I said, son, you have a credit card in your pocket. You could have bought another one. But he didn't think that through. He's a 13-year-old kid, 14-year-old kid. I was going to lose my son over a $50 speaker. And that that was the beginning of it. But the lack of communication was going to solidify. So he'd be in therapy at 28 talking about I hate my dad Mm -hmm. over a $50 speaker. This kid goes to private school, skis in Switzerland, does everything. A $50 speaker was going to push my kid over the edge. And make him not listen to dad, and I was listening to some some crackpot in school yeah. who thinks smoking weed is cool, popping pills is cool, because he's doing the opposite of what dad says. Yeah, something that small. It's not always, oh my god, I beat my kid, locked him in the basement. You just might have did something. Mm-hmm. I did it unintentionally and didn't understand the repercussions, but I was able to get to the conversation early. Now, if I'm a CEO flying all over the world, I, yeah, I can buy you gifts. I'm not paying yeah. attention. I'm not really talking to you anyways. Yeah. I talk to the kid routinely. So we can lose our kids over small things. Yeah. And I come in and I tell the dad, hey, you remember that $50 speaker? Get out of here. It's that $50 speaker. Yeah. No, it can't be. I bought him a car. I bought him a house. I sent him the, doesn't matter. See it through his eyes. See it through there. And as adults, yeah. we have a hard time seeing it through our kids' eyes. It's, oh, I gave you enough stuff. You shouldn't be miserable. Yeah. So did you, res- you restored that relationship, I'm assuming? Oh, my son's my guy. Yeah, but... the. Re- Yes, I restored the relationship. The, the, the message is there. It's like, like you've got to be part of the 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 solution, part of the problem to resolve it and take. I had to accept that what I did in his eyes was wrong. Yeah. In my eyes, it made sense. I bought yeah. you two. You're single. You're only kid. What well, you don't need to. Yeah. But in my mind, it made sense. Yeah. In his mind, it was hurtful. Yeah. What he thought mattered because yeah. what he thought was going to end our relationship and take his life off track. Yeah. So when your kids go off track, it's not always something catastrophic. No. You know, I was at a, I was actually at an EO GLC event last year. And one of the presenters talked about the importance of really listening to your children. Like we think we listen, but like, are we really listening? Like, are we actually putting ourselves in their position? Just like you said, and are we actually really like looking at them and truly, truly listening? And I think there's a big difference between listening and then really actively listening from their perspective and i think um you just proved that like you know you weren't able to see it from his point of view but we got to do better at trying to do that i wasn't even trying to see it from his point of view yeah i use adult logic on a 14 year old yeah and wonder why it didn't take adult logic on a 14 year old there we go there's some lessons some nice parenting lessons through this podcast too so so tell me, um, I want to learn um, a little bit more about you, Andre, like um, like Harvard University. Why was that a goal for you? The goal was I was sitting in my prison cell and I decided that prison wasn't cool and I didn't want to be here anymore. So I said, OK, I'm going to go. I said, I want to be free. It's first thing I said, I want to be free. I realized free doesn't work. Free is the parking lot. If you're in prison and you just want to be free, once you hit the parking lot, you've achieved your goal. So you're done. I want to make more money this year. Well, a dollar more is more money. So you're done. So I realized free didn't work for anybody because 75% of people get free, come back. So I said, I don't want that because it doesn't work. Then I said, I want to be successful and successful people come from college. So I said, I'll go home and go to college. So I had to pick a school. I picked Harvard because it's the only school I knew the name of. 
I'm from Boston. I used to ride my skateboard there. So I didn't know ASU and UCLA. I don't know. I never really traveled as a kid. So I, the only school I knew the name of was Harvard University. So I said, I'll go home and go to Harvard. Had I lived someplace else, I'd have picked a different school. But that's the school that I heard. And that's the school that I chose. It was more about education, putting myself in a situation where I could win. Uh, it could have been a community. I ended up going to community college first, but because I, I found out that was a real reality yeah, that you yeah. have to go through the stages. Yeah. But I know I know we had community college. Yeah. I didn't know what that was until I came home. But education and college is a place where you get to share ideas. You can sit in the lobby, sit in the Starbucks, and just talk to somebody about what you love for hours on end, uninterrupted. And nobody's hating. I got 10 friends. The likelihood of some of them liking strategic planning or crisis management is not good. They're my friends, but they're not they're not crisis managers. Yeah. So when we get together, I have to take my dreams or my love and put it to the side and do the community talk. Yeah. In college, I could sit on all day and talk strategy. Yeah. And it was hundreds of people just wanted to talk and it was great yeah. conversations. Yeah. And that, that's what I did. So I wanted to be in a place where you could grow. Right. And so what did you study there? I studied first, I studied. <laughs> I studied um, criminal justice was my first major because that's why, okay, criminal justice. And I used to sit in class. The professor would say something. I'd raise my hand and be like, that's wrong. And I explained to him why. Next day, he would say something. That's wrong. wrong. And I explained to him why. After like a week of that, he would say something. The whole class would do this. That's wrong. I'm like, come on, great, correct him. That's when I said, I don't want to be in school. I want to teach at school. Yeah. I said, I'm teaching, I'm teaching a class from the back and he's getting paid. This is not a good, this is not set up right. So I said, I want to teach. And I I left that school. I went to a place called Tufts University. Mm-hmm. I became a visiting professor. Right. And I started teaching criminal justice at Tufts. So I taught there for a year and I realized I didn't really want to teach all these spoiled rotten kids who didn't want to do their homework. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, First semester was wonderful. Teaching. Yeah. The first semester was wonderful. Those kids were awesome. Nice. The second semester, I got the dog ate the homework. I got lost. And it was every excuse known to man for not coming to class. You can't fail me. I've never gotten a, a B before. I got all that stuff. I'm like, huh? Yeah. I'm one 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 year I was done. Two semesters, it was great. But then I just kept working. And then Harvard Law School called me, Dr. Charles Ogletree, who I had a relationship from earlier, and he offered me a fellowship to come to the law school. Right. You can't say no to that. That was a dream. So you then went to Harvard and you did a law degree at Harvard. No, I went to Harvard Law School as a fellow. As a fellow. What is I'm not sorry, I'm not from the uh, um I was doing a lot of community work in Ferguson, Missouri at the time with EO chapter and YPO chapter there. Right. We're doing a lot of work around the riots and the protests. Okay. And Harvard wanted to be a part of it, but they didn't have feet on the ground. So right. they called me and said, Hey Andre, let's partner up. Right. We'll support you. You support us, and we'll do this together. So right. I partnered with Harvard um, in bringing an end to the Ferguson protests. Right. So I got my dream job, and they got a chance to participate in the work that I was doing. Yeah. It's funny how things turn around, isn't it? Amazing. A lot of pursuit on your part, for sure. Um, okay, so you've kind of you've thrown me one. I'm not following my structure very well. I'm just enjoying your story so much i suppose this is the question it's just going to be an interesting question to ask you andre so if you were to do this all over again would you do it all over again i would not want to go through 14 years of prison at all no. that i mean i would not voluntarily sign up for that 
If you can say, hey, Dre, go do these 14 again and we can you can be that on the back end. I'd much rather been a lawyer on the front end. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't have been as impactful in the globe. I appreciate the impact that I have. Yeah. But um, the journey I had to go through to get here was not fun yeah. it, <laughs> by any stretch. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of nerves. It's, it's a lot of stuff going through 14 years of prison. I mean, maximum security and risking your life and becoming all that. I, I see now that everything I went through benefits somebody else. And I can appreciate all the experiences now. But I didn't appreciate them at the time. Yeah. When your life is threatened and you're locked in situations, you don't know if you're going to live or die and you're going through this stuff. It's like you can't see. Well, in 10 years from now, this is going to be a great pitch to pull somebody off a cliff or this is going to be oh this gang I, I do um corporate retention trainings based on gang gang um initiations gang loyalty is the strongest thing you got on planet earth then there's corporate retention the weakest thing on planet earth so we teach corporates how to retain people the same way we retain gang members right. but i don't want to go through recruiting people to do right. that I, I there's a thousand other things that i could have done and could be doing but i'm happy with my life mm -hmm. i'm not giving it back but um if i had to do it over again no no <laughs> yeah i would no listen i wouldn't no no i'm okay without 14 years in penitentiary yeah yeah i pre listen every last day has become energy and a lesson for me to help somebody else yeah. and i've been able to save hundreds if not thousands of lives and companies and the rest but um it, it, it was a tough lesson. Yeah, I'm repeating all that. As, yeah. I, voluntarily? I imagine, but why would you want to do that? Even if you told me the outcome, I wouldn't want to do it. No. Well, a journey. Okay. So um, this seems such a... Uh, so I want to know a little bit more. What do you do? Okay, I know what you do now. I have an understanding of what you do now. Um, what makes you happy? Like if what? you're when you're not solving crises, like what else? What else? That's what happy? makes me happy. Yeah. Do not invite me to a picnic. Let's not go to the beach and have some and go swimming. Yeah. Call me when there's a crisis. Tell me your kid's struggling, and I can help your kid, and I can see you smile again. Yeah. Tell me you're saying your sales team sucks and they're fighting at each other's throats. Your company's going underwater. Let me fix that, and then you can see you smile yeah. again. Tell me something's out of. Do not invite me to the fun stuff because I'm just gonna stand in the corner and look like an invert, like a recluse. Like, how come he's not talking? He's great with people. So invite me to. I like fixing stuff. Yeah, you do, and that makes you happy. I just don't know why I asked you that question. I have when I die, they can put three things on my tombstone. Mm -hmm. One is gonna say Harvard Fellow because I did that. One's gonna say Honorable Son. I've done stuff for my parents to go far beyond showing up for Mother's Day and Father's Day. Yeah. And third is going to say I freed people. So every single day, I live my life based on those three things. Am I still worthy enough to be my father's son? Yeah. Am I, am I, am I, can I really hold to the standards of a Harvard fellow? Mm -hmm. And are you freeing somebody? And whether it's somebody from prison, somebody from addiction, somebody from yeah. bad relationships, somebody from a bad circumstance, it doesn't matter. Are you freeing people or creating freedom for people? Yeah. And that's every single day I wake up and say, who can I help today? I'm doing this podcast, not because I just like doing podcasts. I'm hoping somebody on this thing will hear this. And I'll say, hey, you know something? I know you you think this is about business, but this is about you. And it is about business. And we we see you. We know that you're going through stuff. There's somebody watching that's going through something. I don't know what it is or what, what it's not, 
but we want them to know that there's somebody out here who wants to help. Yeah. That, that's why I come on these podcasts to say, hey, I just did a speech. It was 5,000 people in the Mercedes Benz Dome. And I came out, they're clapping, they're rowing. And I say, listen, if your kid's struggling, let me help you. Yeah. If your business is struggling, stop pretending, let me help you. If one of your teams are failing, let me help you. If your marriage is failing, let me help you. I had a client call me to fly to London to come speak at his company. It was going to be a four-day training. Then he, we did the customary call on Friday. Yeah, just Hey, hi, how you doing? The five people get on the phone. Well, thank you for agreeing to come. We so appreciate it. I'm the this guy, this guy, that guy. The CEO missed the call. So he calls me on Monday just to do the due diligence. Hey, Andre, I'm sorry I missed the call on Friday. I was caught up. I just want to say thank you for coming to London and helping my company. I'm like, cool. We started talking. He felt my energy. He says, you know something? My marriage is struggling. You know something? My kids are struggling. Right. He just felt compelled to share with me one-on-one -on, -one on the phone call. I said, well, why would you bring one of the best interventionists in the country to your to your company, but not to your house? Yeah. So which is more important, your family or your company? He said, my family. I said, then why am I going to your company? Yeah. He said, because that's what we hire you for. I said, yeah, I think you're hiring me for the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. I said, how about this? I'll come in. I'll stay at your house for a day. Mm -hmm. I'll meet the family. And I give you an assessment in the morning. And I'll spend a day with y'all. Then I'll go to your company. Yeah. He says, cool. I fly to London. He picks me up. I go to the house. He has a son and a daughter and a wife and a dog and a bunch of horses. <laughs> I go in and I start working with the kids and instantaneous change in energy. The next day came. I'm like, okay, we're about to go to the hotel. I said, Andre, can I talk to you? I said, what's up? He said, can you stay another day? Second day, the kids have been beefing. Right. We fixed the kids beef. They're no longer at each other's throats. Right. Hey, Dre, can you stay another day? Him and the wife was beefing because the kids were stressed out. Now I talked to the wife. Now him and the wife are on page. Hey, Dre, can you stay another day? I flew in. I went to his company for like a half hour. <laughs> I was supposed to be there for four days. I stepped foot in the company on the very last day on the way to the airport. And his family is a thousand times better. Which you know what that means? His company is a thousand times yeah, better. Yeah, better too. So, but wow. people often will hire me to do the thing that's not the thing that they oh, really the need. Thing which needs fixing, yeah. They're like, okay. well, how do you do that? We got to we, we got to wrap this one up. But um, Andre, how can people reach? How can people get hold of you? What's the best way? Oh, it's easy. I have a website, AndreNorman.com. Mm -hmm. I have Instagram, Andre Norman. Mm -hmm. I have TikTok, the real Andre Norman. Mm -hmm. I have LinkedIn, Andre Norman. Okay. And um, you can always call you. You know, what I'm saying I'm EO member in Atlanta because okay. we talked last time. I I'm saying I'm up to date. Four years strong EO. We we Love in that. the building. You know what I'm saying so. I'm on my yeah. So EO okay. EO Atlanta. See, come to an EO Atlanta event. EO Atlanta. It's the place to be. Andre Norman's there, and he can help. Definitely help fix things. Well, what an amazing conversation, Andre. Thank you for sharing all that with uh, our listeners, our followers. Um, I'm going to be wrapping this one up now. So um, I'm very, very grateful for you. Thank you. I appreciate you. And thank everybody for listening. And again, we know you're going through stuff. You're not by yourself. EO's a community. It's a network. It's a family. Yeah. We're all in this together. Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. Oh, my gosh. Love this so much. Thank you again. Everyone have a great day. Um, and please, if if you learned something today, if something excited you, if you if you felt like uh, inspired by what you heard, please tell other people about um, Ear Atlanta Taking Flight podcast. And look forward to seeing you all next time.
And so that wraps up another episode. Thank you for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at takingflight.live. For more information about EO Atlanta, visit eoatlanta.org. Special thanks to the following sponsors. 